0: Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the show. Guess where I am? I'm in New York right now, and it's publication week. Uh, I, and I'm over the moon, y'all. You know, it's just amazing. The book dropped on Tuesday, and right now uh, I'm in your ears. And I think it's uh, let's see what day is it. It's going to be Friday when this uh, when this drops, and. It's just what an amazing and emotional journey it's been to see y'all receiving the book all over the world. Um, I'm, I'm super, super excited. But I wanted to share something cool for those who couldn't be on tour. Uh, if you remember, we had dates in Seattle and dates in New York. Uh, there's another one in San Francisco. But what I wanted to share with you is we recorded audio of our date in Seattle at Town Hall where more than 700 people uh, showed up to be um, to talk about creativity with yours truly and Mr. Brandon Stanton the creator of Humans of New York. Just an electric night um, and Brandon is one of the top creators I know, brilliant creative mind uh, and to be in conversation about creativity in the new book uh, I, I had a great time I, I got a bunch of good feedback from the um, from those in attendance, and it 's just I thought to be able to bring you along on the tour wherever you are right now, hopefully uh, jogging or driving or <laughs> sitting at, at home listening to this podcast i 'm going to be able to transport you to our tour date um, so i 'm recording this, just standing in the hotel room here thursday afternoon i 've been in New York last couple of days doing media and interviews and um, stuff with barnes and noble and a handful of other folks but i want to transport you now to my conversation with brandon stanton at town hall seattle and uh i'd love to know what you think give a shout out to brandon and and thank you i i'm over the moon for everything that you've done to help support this vision um and now i'm going to get out of the way before we do just a super quick word actually you know what let's not let's have no sponsor on this episode right into the show like, can I start the, the evening off by saying who, who wants to come up and draw me a photograph or draw me a picture? Who wants to come up and draw a picture? Okay, just as an experiment, there was about five or ten hands. If this was a first grade classroom, how many hands would be up? <laughs> Every single hand would be up. That's why we're here tonight.
1: Chase and I have different styles. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, even, even like backstage, like you know, we're getting chased. Like doing his jumping jacks. He's like, I'm sure if he had an ice pool here, he'd be in the ice pool. He's like, I'm also energetic. I'm in the corner. I'm like, oh god, so many people out there. Oh god. <laughs> we met earlier at the hotel. He's like, hey, just relax, man. Just like, yeah, just you know, like, like we'll do it like we're just hanging out, like we're hanging out. It's like you want us to smoke weed on stage? <laughs> I'm just kidding. He only eats edibles. Um, Chase and I are good friends though. So. Chase is my good buddy. Um, I'm sure there's, I think both of us were kind of promoting this event on our uh, various social media platforms, so there might be some people who know a little bit more about Chase and uh, some people who know a little bit more about me. Uh, I met Chase uh, about eight years ago when Humans of New York was kind of just getting started. We flew out, I flew out here to do his show. And uh, we became very good friends. Um, you know, Chase, when I was starting Humans of New York, was like, he, he was one of the, 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 the pioneers. He was like the guy who had like a community of photographers and was like using the internet and kind of using this whole social media thing. And he was like, you know, one of the first people, because you know, back then, you know, the blog really wasn't a thing, and social media wasn't, it was just kind of like getting started. And so there were very few people, you know, that you had kind of like blazed the trail and you can look at as an example of somebody is like, oh, you know, you can just kind of do this internet thing and just kind of do this art thing and, you know, make a living from it. And so, you know, when I was, uh, you know, moved to New York and I was just kind of, you know, looking for inspiration, he was one of the names that kept popping up. And so you know, when we finally did meet, you know, we became really good friends, and, you know, we really vibed, and he's still the, the person that, you know, I always call when, you know, I need some advice. Uh, you know, I think a lot tonight we'll be kind of talking about artistic stuff, but I really personally rely a lot on his business knowledge. He's like he's got the entrepreneur chase and then the artist chase, and you know he's uh, very good at creating stuff. And he's very soft and sensitive guy in a good way. I'm, I hope that's not an insult. I'm a soft I'll take guy. It. Bring I'm it. a soft guy as well, um, but he's also you know very tough when it comes to business. And he's got a lot of you know real good advice there. So whenever I'm working on something and I you know need to have his advice on kind of the nuts and bolts and numbers of things, I'll call him. And so. I've always appreciated him being there for me and, you know, I'm excited that Chase made a book uh, <laughs> and so, you know, when he uh, asked me if I would uh, come and kind of help him do this launch, I said I would be happy to um, and I will do my best um, to kind of bring out his vision and his thoughts. and. Uh, you know, introduce you to, you know, the wisdom uh, and the artistry and the, the knowledge base that I have been drawing on uh, so deeply these last few years. That's um, funny. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we'll, hopefully it'll be like, just like we're hanging
0: out. Okay, yeah. great. Well, I'm gonna tell a little story. The first time that, that Brent and I spent any time together was I, we'd, we'd spoke on the phone and we were gonna meet in New York and I, I asked if I could tag along while he was doing his work. I was really familiar with the blog, and, um, and it was fascinating to watch him work. It's really, really, really fascinating. Um, and you watch someone approach a total stranger. I know we're on the other coast here, but if you try and stop a stranger in New York, at first they think they're trying to, you're trying to mug them. And, and, and everyone's in a hurry, of course, and so to have someone as... Um, and Brandon's not a small guy, walk up to you and, and, and completely disarm a total stranger and get them to tell you their most I- inner, deepest secrets in like 90 seconds. Is, is, it's fascinating. And I will say as I was walking along the streets of New York with him for quite a long time, he does a lot of work. He talks about it like he just goes out and takes pictures, but he does an immense amount of work in order to get the work that we all consume of his every day. And, um, and then, partway through, he stopped me, and he pushed me against the wall for a second. He stood back and he took a picture, Sounds and like then he assault. started, and then he started, <laughs> and he started doing the humans of New York thing on me, and I was rendered powerless instantly. <laughs> and like literally, it was like I was in his laboratory and started uh, sharing some really intimate. Um,
1: it's about not wanting to have kids. Yeah. Well, because you know, he was talking, I mean I'm always like looking for the, the thing that, you know, really kinda jumps out as like something that I'm very be interested to hear somebody's thinking about behind. And you know, we were talking about photography a lot and then you just kinda happened to drop that you know you had made the decision to not have children and I
0: was just like very interested in that. I think it was really controversial one of your one of your posts. Well and... things
1: with parenting and children are always really controversial. It's amazing. Uh, that's been like a huge lesson that I've learned, it goes like the things that people get most triggered about, it's like politics, religion, and parenting. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, like parenting might be even higher. Yeah. Like it's amazing, like the comment section, it's like people are unable to read a different philosophy or thought on how to raise a child without feeling like their way of raising a child's being directly attacked. Yeah. Um, and the comment sections are just insane on parenting quotes, uh, posts. So yeah, when you didn't even want to have kids. No. I mean, you got everybody. <laughs> I didn't know what I was signing up for.
0: Was it bad? I, I, I'm very, very grateful for you coming all the way across the country to be here tonight. Can we give him a shout out? Oh. It's very nice right
1: Um, so I guess we will start um, just kind of at the beginning, uh, instead of me saying you know what I got from the book and what I think it's about, um, I was wondering if you could just kind of tell us why you felt that it was necessary to write a book or what you felt Oof. needed to be said.
0: All right, first of all, writing a book sucks, okay. <laughs> especially if you're a photographer. So. Um Sadly, the, uh, I didn't cho- choose the medium. I felt like the medium had to be a book. The ideas were, were reasonably complex enough, and it ne- needs to be something that you sit with. Um, and so as much as I wanted to make a bunch of internet videos and some short films about it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be that. So um, I embarked on a book, and the book had been brewing in me for a good 10 years. Um, and I think it's a, it's a reasonably simple um, it's reasonably simple shell and it's my hope that the more you read it, the more you realize is, is in it. And the, the basic framework of the book, I'd say there's three principles. The first principle is that every person is creative. Every single person. I made a joke when I got on stage about a first grade classroom, but that's actually how you know. You know, you know in your heart in a minute when you ask a, a, a first grade classroom who wants to draw a picture. The challenge is you ask a sixth grade classroom and then a 12th grade classroom and what you understand is that, that creativity is something that's trained out of us. So, start at the, at the top. The principle is that every person is creative. And the second principle is that creativity is a habit, not a skill. It's a way of operating in the world. It's a, it's a process, not a product. And ultimately, I think of it like a muscle. Um, and if you think about how a muscle works, the more you use it, the stronger it gets. And this is where a Maya Angelou quote is just fantastic. It's, she says something like, creativity is an infinite resource. The more you use, the more you have. And so if you believe, one, that, that there's creativity inside of every person, if you believe, two, that you can, get, you can strengthen creativity through use, then I think the big kicker of the book, uh, maybe this is the Trojan horse, is that It's in creating in small daily ways. Yes, making a meal for your family, baking a cake, building a business, writing code. It's in those small daily creative ways that we actually realize and we strengthen the same muscle that we create our life with. And so there's creativity with this small C and then there's creativity with the capital C. And to me, when I've deconstructed the successes and failures of my own life, and the lives of those people who've been on my podcast, some of the world's top performers, and some people who are very, very dear to me, when I started deconstructing their lives and, and asking them, like, it, it, it just, it resonated that, that those people acknowledge that they are creative, and most importantly, that creativity is the human superpower. It's like, it's what separates us from every species on the planet. We can make tools, we can create, um, a moment, we can bake a cake, we can build a fort, we can build a fire. Those things are all creative acts. And if you start to draw the circle around creativity in something much larger than art, you know that creativity is in pipe cleaners and popsicle sticks, right? That creativity is the solution to every problem we will ever know that mechanical engineer, or like the wheel is mechanical engineering plus creativity. The light bulb is, elect, is electricity plus mechanical, or plus electrical engineering it's like, or creativity plus electrical engineering, those are like, it's the combination of these things. If you start to think of it like that, it's really hard to argue that every single person is not creative. And this has been couched in a million things throughout time, I was trying to couch it in something that was so fundamental that would help people acknowledge that it is literally a muscle and that by creating in small ways, that you can create the life that you want.
1: So, um, helping people acknowledge, I guess, like, one thing, you know, obviously, we've both lived creative lifestyles, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I sometimes will give a speech, uh, where I will kind of talk about my path and, you know, my journey as an artist and, like, the decisions that I made, um, and then there will be times when, you know, I'll speak at colleges and I'll think like, okay, this is very relevant. Everybody's trying to figure out what they're doing. Um, so, you know, this will probably resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes I'll speak at audiences. Like I was at a landlord's convention lately. I don't know where these gigs come from, but they <laughs> they, they keep they keep the Sign lights here. on. It was in Denver. It's going to be a great speech. Um, here. Yeah, and, you know, these people were very, they were older and very established and, you know, and very, you know, farther along in their career, they had families to support, they had mortgages to pay. And then I asked myself, you know, I'll tell my story and and tell about how kind of following my creative passion, you know, helped me, Um, but is this information about this journey that I embarked on when I was 26 years old and I didn't have many responsibilities or anything holding me down and I was able to take this huge risk, is this something that's very applicable to this crowd right now? Um, and so, you know, who is it that you're trying to speak to? And I mean, is and what is your message for people who you know aren't do are set in their ways and their families are depending upon their income and maybe they don't do something creative, sure. but it pays the bills and sure. it supports their family.
0: A couple things. First of all, I'm not asking anyone to wear a beret, to move to Paris, to get a new set of friends. This is, not, this is not that kind of creativity. There's no buying of oil paints. I mean, all those things would be lovely, of course, but that's not a requirement. And I think, um, I'm going to go back to my second grade classroom. Mm-hmm. So I had just made my first film coming out of summer between first and second grade. It was called The Sons of Zorro. And, uh, there may be a, a film called The Son of Zorro, but ours is way different because there were several sons. So it's called The Sons of Zorro. And, uh, and we, washed, we washed cars in the neighborhood. We borrowed our friend, had a Super 8 camera. We used the money from washing the cars to buy film. And we wrote the script and staged the film, shot it all in camera so it didn't have to be edited. And then had the film developed and screened it. I think we put 15 bucks in and we got 30 bucks out. We sold candy was actually the big, the big ticket item, more so than the film. But I'd just come off of that and then I stepped into second grade. In the second grade, I had a magic routine. I had a stand-up comedy routine. Um, I, yeah, I told some dirty jokes that, were, that went over great in second grade. Um, and But I really, I, I didn't think of myself as creative or not creative, and, but I knew that, that art was a part of what we were supposed to do. And then uh, it was the parent-teacher conference, after it was the ice cream social and the parent-teacher conference were paired together and I heard my second grade teacher, Ms. Kelly, tell my mom that Chase is so much better at sports than he is at art. And here's the weird thing is, I mean, the the reaction that you all just shared with us, like the, oh, you would think that the eight-year-old me would be crushed. The eight-year-old me did not care at all about not being good at something the eight-year-old just needed to be acknowledged for something else. And so we, we, it was less about what I was not good at and more like, okay, great, then I'm just gonna play sports. And my second grade teacher unknowingly um, turned me to a life of, okay, great, I'm gonna, that's my identity immediately. And so I pursued that and, it, and thanks to Ms. Kelly, it did well. I, I went to college on a soccer scholarship, played on the Olympic development team, and it wasn't until my grandfather dropped dead of a heart attack with zero notice, not he was not ill, not just dead. And I was given his cameras just a week before my college graduation. Now he and my father, who uh, had been photographing just our teams and our kids and our friends and the neighborhood, um, I was inspired enough by that to be um, curious about the camera. So, what was it's ostensibly like 15 years or something like that, I reconnected with my creativity. And what I realized is that that is a thing that we do to lots of kids. And we do it on the auspice of, oh, you have to be practical. You have to have, go to this school and get this kind of job and put this thing on the, pay, on the, on the table. And here's what I also realized, that all comes from a very, good, caring, heartful place. But it does unseen damage because what you're really doing is saying, do something that looks like this. You're taking the window of possibility. Remember, this is creativity. You can literally create anything. And you're asking your children to create things that are in this lane. And you do it out of love. You do it because you care for them and you want them to be safe and you do want them. And you've, we've heard this toxic myth of the starving artist. That was just, that was a made up story that some folks at Le Le Dumagot in a cafe in Paris made up because it made them feel cool. And now it's a, a cultural narrative that we all share. So it's a long way of getting at this, like who is this for? There will always be shoulds. There will always be shoulds. You should do this, you should look like this. But just realize that every time you're putting a should on anyone, that you're constraining what's possible for their life. And to me, if you ask the question, so who is this for? I bet for everyone in this room, there is a gap in, in your life between where you are and where you would love to be. This is true for most people. There are a handful of people who that is, the gap is zero. But if there is a gap, this book is for you because there's no way to, to cover that gap. There's no way to cross that chasm than to create it for yourself. And if you can start to think about creativity in that sense, I think that answers who the book is for. If there's a gap in your life, it's for you. Now there is a whole community that identifies as a creator and my hope is that if you look at this book and you read it, you're like, yes, my people. And then there's some people who are what I call creative curious. And to me, this is the most powerful, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) It's, this is the most powerful opportunity because there's so much opportunity, there's so much, so much creativity tied up in people who are wondering if they're creative. They're wondering if they have the right to pursue the thing, their big dream in life. And it doesn't have to be a dream, it can be a moment. Like, there's nothing else that's going to get you that moment besides creating it. So, that's who it's for.
1: Um, So,
0: one story
1: I hear very commonly when I'm interviewing people for Humans of New York is, I want to do X, um, but, you know, or I I guess more commonly, it's, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, So, I studied this because it seemed easy Mm -hmm. or it seemed practical. And then I got a job right out of college, and I, you know, I got a couple promotions, and you know now I'm 35, and you know I, I really don't know if this is what I want to be doing right. with my life. I'm, I'm confused, um, and I, I'm kind of maybe working for the weekend, but I come home every single day, and I'm tired, and I've only got. You know, two hours of free time, and maybe I have a child, or I have two children, mm-hmm. and I'm just so exhausted... I and get
0: it, you're tired. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. Well, I mean, I, know, I, know I'm I guess I want to emphasize it, if I hadn't heard it like a million times, yeah. as the primary reason yeah. that people, I mean, it takes energy. It takes energy to build a new life, a yeah. lot of energy, and it and it takes time. Yeah. And so, what do you what do you tell the person? You know, what or what do you tell me if I'm that person um, about like how do you stop? How do you stop the train when there's so much momentum behind it and so much direction behind it, and you know, build a new life or right. is that the goal?
0: No, that's the mis- that's the that's the mistaken understanding of what I'm asking you to do, because. Again, I'm not asking you to move to Paris where the berets stop. You don't have to give up anything. You don't have to give up your kids. You don't have to give up your lifestyle. <laughs> Either one. But I, I would, the same million people I've had eye to eye when I've come off stages and they've said the same things to me. Yeah. And, and here's what I ask them. I ask them, have you ever felt something effortless? And they said, yeah. And I said, have you ever put a lot of work into something that felt effortless and then it felt extra good? I call it in the book, effortless hard work. And they said, yeah, yeah. I was like, well, tell me about that. I was like, oh, well, I was doing something I loved with a bunch of people that cared about me in a place that that I felt connected to. And I know that every single person in this room and every single person I've been eyeball to eyeball with, no one's ever said that they didn't have that place or that moment. And so, the cool thing is, is that it's there. And what we've done systematically, and we have a, a handful of systems and machines in our culture that train this out of us, right? And it's okay, this is, there's no evil genius going <laughs> It's school and work, and it's just what happens when we're social animals living in a mass society, in a mass culture, this happens, it's okay, but we have to start to understand that we can program against it. And when you ask someone if they have experienced that moment and they can look backwards to what they were doing with whom they were doing it, and you say, what if you could do that more? And then the first thing that comes out of their mouth, which is probably what you're thinking right now, is all of the shoulds that you need to be doing and how impractical it would be and all that. And I just say, yeah, but what if you did it? And for every person, I've never had someone say, yep, not for me. Even if it was for a second, there's just this moment. And I'm here to tell you is that that's actually possible. Now, it's an important asterisk to say that I have basically made most of the mistakes you can make. I went $100,000 into student debt, I went 10 years off track, living everybody else's life for me. You should do this, and I have the most loving, kind, supportive parents, but you know, I was the first person in my household to graduate from college. And then you, so you sh- if you're smart and hardworking, you should be a doctor. Oh, you can be a pro athlete. Oh, you should definitely do that. There's all kinds of these shoulds. And then to not really identify or connect with all of those, go back to the person that I'm talking to. And I say, do you remember what it feels like to do the thing that you love? And everybody gets this specific look in their eye. And then 10 seconds later, they're back to reality. And I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not hard to get out of that moment. What I'm saying is it's possible. What's the first step? The first step is imagining what's possible. And we have turned off our imagination and culture. You know, the, the, the book is arranged. It's a really, I'm a, I'm, you might picture me like this, but I'm a pretty, uh, pretty linear, cogent thinker. And so the book is arranged in four parts. I-D-E-A. So it's this idea framework. And I basically deconstructed all my successes and failures, and everything that ever worked had this framework, and everything that ever failed, it didn't have this framework. And so it starts out with I, which is imagine. Like you literally have to imagine what's possible. And when you imagine what's possible, you put things like the mortgage and the the, the private school tuition, and you put your boss and all the things that are that are you've constructed as hurdles for yourself. You put those on the park bench just for a second. What's possible? What could I, if I could just write my own script right now instead of doing the script that everybody else wrote for me, what's possible? Next thing you have to do is design a framework for getting there, like a set of behaviors and experiences and and that what if you did these things that you could achieve this big thing, you have to execute against that plan, that's the idea part, and then a, amplify is, is a big part about community, so I, I don't wanna go too, too deep into that, but to the, the punchline of your question is, my answer is really that we've lost our capability of imagination because we're told that creativity is whimsical, it's playful, it's um, impractical, it's naive, it's all these things. It is all we've got. Creativity and love is all we've got. Those are the foundational building blocks of anything. This is, this is so foundational, our ability. Like right now, we're co-creating this experience together. So if you can start to think about creativity in the sense of this, this big capital C, it's the most practical thing you could possibly do. And yes, playing the piano is the same set of muscles that you're gonna use to get your second or third or fourth career, whatever you're aspiring to be. And it's in that small daily action of playing the piano and cooking a meal for your parents or with intention that you actually are reminded that you have agency.
1: So you, do, you describe it, you put it up there with love as, as something so, you know, kind of pivotal. So what, what, is, what is it about a life not lived creatively that you think should is, is so dire or so important to fight and struggle against to get creativity back in your life? Like, what, what, what are the consequences? Like, what is, uh, yeah, the impact of not being creative every day? Yeah. What does that do to a person that you think it's, it's so dire that you need to snap people out of it?
0: Well, uh, dear friend Brene Brown says it best, and I'll just paraphrase. She's like, it's not... It's not neutral. It's toxic when you're actually not using your creativity, and that creates disease. It creates um, a distance between who you are and who you want to be. That creates isolation, loneliness. I think, I think
1: it's. I think it's. It's how we. It's how we. It's how we project our individuality. Yeah. It's like it. It's it's in in, in creativity is when we is when we put something unique into the world. Yeah. And it's and if you're not putting something unique into the world you're being put into a box in something that's interchangeable yeah and and so i think it's maybe it's maybe like the the act of you know
0: commodification of the human spirit <laughs> <laughs> too much
1: oh I, too much no 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 i i it's yeah it's like i, I
0: Just, but think about it, though. And this is the coolest thing. If you leave here with anything tonight, leave here with this. You have everything you need right in here. We all go looking for the answers out there. And it's natural because everything is out there. Like the money is out there. Other people's out there. The things you see on TV are out there. It's all out there. But I have yet to really have a connection with someone if I'm coaching them or helping them trying to understand. I end up, because of Creative Live and... and just the way the internet works, I end up being a career career counselor. And it's very, very powerful when you start to realize that every person has the answer inside. You all have the answers right now. This gap that I'm talking about between where you are, and when you wanna be, it's in there. All that stuff is, and we just need to go looking for it. And it's very, very hard to find it. I don't wanna like, it's very important to me also that in the same way that I've made all the mistakes that you can make and done everything everybody else wanted me to do for a really long time, 20 years, that it's recoverable and it's recoverable in an instant. And there's one thing that I like to think about when I personally find myself in this position, which is a lot, the gap between where I am and where I wanna be, I'm like, oh God. Here's the thing, it might be 100 hours, 1,000 hours, $100,000, some distance. Let's just put it in hours, you've heard the 10,000 hours. I'm 10,000 hours away from where I wanna be. But you know what, I'm one decision away. And that's a very powerful thing. You can be a thousand hours, but one decision to just decide that that's the thing you're gonna do. And to me, that's like, that's in, even in the darkest moments when you're like, I'm so far away because here's the thing that you talked about uh, just a second ago about, I've got the mortgage, I got this, I got that. For that same person, I'd say, do you know why you're tired? And I think that they know the answer before I even ask the question. It's because are you doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing in life? And I have very rarely come across someone who is as tired as most of us are and is doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing in life. I will tell you, I will confess on this stage here, just so long as you don't tell anybody that writing the book was very hard for me and it would not exist if it was not for Kate. I don't know where you are, Kate. yeah it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for for Kate it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for a lot of time and um it was very, very hard. I kept sort of coming back to this is it's a really it's a it's a trip to write a book about creativity you You see where I'm about to go, and then you go back twenty seven pages and read your own advice and you're like
1: <laughs>
0: and you get back to work <laughs> um but But the point is that that, that well. I'll just I'll I'll leave it at that. You see where I'm going with it?
1: No, no. Um, I I think that for me, uh, well, one big thing for me, and I I feel like there's there's, you know, there's there's different there's different points in your life where you just have to kind of really like parse out and really examine what your motives are for doing the work and doing the stuff that you do. Yeah. You know, some might be responsibility. You might have a sick parent. You might have somebody like absolutely dependent upon sure. you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that, and that's one thing that you, you have to do. And then there's money, which is always obvious. One that I, I think is kind of, and, and you know, Along the lines of like finding like what it is that you're meant to be doing and and what it is that will be most nourishing for you in the moment That's yeah. something I talk about a lot too. Nourishing. It, it's yeah. like yeah It's like what what is it that in the moment that you enjoy doing the most because time is the most valuable resource like an interesting thought experience for me is being like Jeff Bezos and being on my deathbed and being in tons of pain and having somebody come up to me well, okay. <laughs> I don't. You can you can insert any tycoon there. I got nothing against Jeff Bezos. I don't like to. I don't like to imagine Jeff Bezos being in a lot of pain. Uh, being person X with a hundred billion dollars. Okay. But being on my deathbed and being in, in tons of pain and having no energy and just like not even being really conscious enough to like enjoy the companionship of the people around me that I love and somebody came up to you and been like, okay, um, if, would you give me um, $60 billion, which you worked 40 years creating for an extra week of feeling like you're 30 years old again? And I think you take it. You you take it to have that much time just to to, to talk with your wife and, and just do you know be with your kids and experience the world. And it really puts into perspective, you know, the value of time, you know, versus money. And how much more valuable it is yeah. than anything else on earth, but we use it. We always fill up our time trying to accumulate these other things, yeah. and and money is when we talk about the one that I think is the most subtle. Which I wore in college at kids a gap about is this sense of importance, yeah. feeling important in the eyes of other people. I think one you know mental calculus when you're when you're finding out what it is that you are meant to be doing and what it is that you really want to do. That is your creative calling, as your book is called, is to really ask yourself. What about the efforts and expenditures that I'm putting forth every day is so that I can feel successful or important in the eyes of other people?
0: That's the number one regret of the dying, that they overemphasize the life that everybody else wanted them to live. And so to me, I look at this journey that we're on and the reason I wrote the book, it's, 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 a, it's a, a contract not to betray myself. Mm-hmm. It's a contract not to betray the eight-year-old me who made the Sons of Zorro. It's a contract with myself to not ever, to never lose the zest and the joy that the first grader has when they clamor to get on their desk, to raise their hand, to come to the front of the room and draw a picture.
1: And I have to do the same thing all the time. Like, even with like humans in New York, I go and I'll speak on stage and I'll tell about the moment when I lost my job and I'd been thinking about nothing but money for like three years and I had this moment and I said, okay, I'm gonna spend the next foreseeable point of my life trying to make just enough money to where I can control my time. And at the time I loved photography. And like it was that kind of, I guess that was my first grade moment. Like it was like that commitment to myself that I was just going to find a way to build my life to where I could do, have just enough money to where I could just do what I wanted to do all day long. And like in my imagination, I couldn't even imagine the best-selling books or the things. I imagined maybe selling enough prints just to pay my rent and photograph all day long. Yeah, yeah. And, I constantly it's so easy like no matter how much you like you said you had to remind yourself what's in your own book it's so yeah, true yeah. like I speak to college kids about this stuff and then I'll just get in like in situations because like as you okay so you commit yourself to doing what you love every single day and then that gets some traction because you were so passionate about it it was effortless I mean I did it all day every single day because it was just so easy and I loved it and then it got big and then when it gets big suddenly you have real big opportunities for money or real big opportunities to feel important and like the temptations get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and like easier and easier to like exercise and so like I constantly have to remind myself that the thing I love the most and the thing that nourishes me the most is going out and doing the work every yeah. single day like yeah. doing the creativity and it's like I will get I will make a series of perfectly logical decisions that make everybody would say you're stupid not to do that commit me to things where suddenly all day long I'm chasing opportunities that have arisen from humans of New York and I'm not on the street talking to people, interviewing people, like doing what I love. And yeah, you you get pulled away um, from the thing that sent you on the journey in the first place.
0: There's a, there's a real significant section of the book. It's a book that is a lot, a lot of stories of my own experiences and experience of my friends. And there's a great story about Brandon in there, which is his losing his job as a bond trader and moving to uh, New York in a small apartment with the mattress on the floor. And the, the idea of this value of time. And if you can control anything and this resource that we all have the same amount of, wouldn't it be amazing? and um, there's a big emphasis in the book about the process. You don't have to know all the answers, but you just have to do, just basically create something every day in a small, not even significant way, just be creating every day. And it's that moment of intention, even if just you know 10 lines in the journal in the morning or a photograph on your walk at lunch or there's lots. And this, what you're, he is on stage tonight because he did that every day for five years. And then when you release a book and it goes straight to number one, all the, the effort and the, 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 the understanding of what you've been doing becomes really clear to everybody else. But he knew it from day one. That's, that's another, we'll go back to Bezos. You have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time sometimes in order to, to truly live what you're doing. And,
1: well, and, it, and it's... Focusing on the the activity of it that made it possible, yeah. especially now because like everything's got a metric, everything's gamified, mm-hmm. everything you've got an amount of followers, you have a, have likes. So people, when they're when they're choosing what to do, even artistic, almost especially artistic people, they're not truly making a decision that I want to make this art because I love this activity. I love this moment. I love the act of creativity. Mm. It's, I want to make this creative, I want to engage in this creative act in order to get this many followers or because I think it will attract this much engagement and, and it will attract that many people. And it's not sustainable yeah. because it takes so long of doing something every single day between, before you, I, I call it the first true fan. It's, it takes you so long to of working every single day, where you're your only fan, to get good enough and unique enough at something, to where you cross this invisible threshold and you have somebody who loves your work, not because you're their cousin, you're they're your cousin, not because they're your mom, uh, but you'll see. It's like for the longest time, for so many months, I had like you know. 300-and-something Facebook fans. And those were the 300 people I sent direct messages to. Hey, I'm in New York. I'm trying to start something. I know you don't like it. Just pretend like you like it. I, <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just need some fans. And it, it takes it's so long until you get to that point, and if it's a business, if it's an art, where you have somebody, you've put so much work onto it that a complete stranger will connect to it and seek it out. And that's the moment you know that you made it, because the world is such a big place that you know that there's so many of those people out there. And the only way to get there is by loving the activity and doing it for the love of the activity. Because yeah. if I was doing it for numbers or engagement, I would have quit so early because it takes so long yeah. before that stuff shows up in a meaningful way. Unless you get like some gimmicky viral idea, then you're boom, up into the air, and then you're gone the next day.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what we all want in our culture... You can throw rocks if you think I get this wrong, but I think we all want a map, right? Go to this school, get these grades, get this job, have this income, you can drive this car, live in this neighborhood, that's a map, right? It shows the dot, where you are, and then it shows this little dotted line that goes around, and it shows the red X, you'll end up here. So we're sold this, why? Because it's convenient, because it makes us feel good. Honestly, it's like, it's it's oversimplified. How many of your lives look like that? zero, right? There's plenty of things on that dotted line between you are here and where you want to go, such that where you want to go usually moves around, and that's fine, but we're sold a map in our culture, and we're sold a map of averages, have, you know, just have this much money, don't think too big, think the right size, live like this, and again, there's no evil genius, this is fine, this is a result of a mass deal, but what it creates is a bunch of averages, and that's. You aren't an average. You, in order to have an average, you have to have a data set. My friends, you're a data set of one. There is no average if, you know, like there's one divided by one, it's one. So if we think that we, if you can just suspend this for a second and say, okay, great, I'm willing to not have, and by average life, I don't mean simple and humble. I think those are all great attributes. I mean average in the sense of, don't think too big, don't think too small, like this, go here, don't, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. This is the things that your career counselor and your parents, meaning well, being, meaning very well, tell you. But I just think that, that we have the ability to do something that's so much greater, but here's what it requires. It doesn't require a map, it requires a compass. Think of the difference between a map and a compass. A map, you unfurl it, or well, at least you did 10 years ago. Now you look at your phone, and you can see where you're supposed to go. It gives you step-by-step instructions. Here's the deal about a compass. It just gives you a direction. And you have to just walk in that direction. It's not about seeing the whole, you, you, you can't see the whole staircase. You can see the first four or five stairs. And you can see the ridge and you walk to the top of the ridge and then you're, you're expecting just to keep walking and then you get there and there's a lake. And then you either have to say, oh, I love to swim or I have to go around the lake. Or, and like, that is scary for most of us. Hey, just walk in this direction. No, 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 trust me, it's gonna be fine. But you know what? that is infinitely more real than a map. Because a map sells you something that we know is not true. And a compass, if you can use, if the compass that you're following is your heart, it never lies. That to me, is it's, it's sort of like when you realize that you might be a thousand hours away from your dream job, dream life, relationship you're cultivating, whatever, but you're only one decision. The same thing is true. Is like, I don't actually need a map. And this is the thing about our calling. You know, the creative calling is a little bit of a, I almost didn't name the book that, but I couldn't think of anything better, so I just went with it. The, the creative part is because I think we're, crea- we're just creating machines and everything's creative. The calling part to me is that's where the life part of the book comes in. Sure, we're talking about art, but we're also talking about, it's a whisper and it starts out in here and then it's over there. It's never really clear, but you know enough to walk at it. And when you walk, I have this experience with every, all the best things that have ever happened to me in my life. I didn't have a plan. I just had a little bit of an instinct. I was like, well, oh, it's kind of scary, but I'm going to start walking in that direction. So if you can start to think of a compass rather than a map, and you, you're willing to decide that on your, you're not going to be that person on their deathbed that has this sort of mound of regret, there's all kinds of stuff that's going to happen when you go over the hill and you follow your heart. Your heart's going to get broken. All these things are going to happen but it's really the only way to live.
1: And I, mean, I think the first step is, like, the first like, actionable step is saying, I'm going to figure out, I, I can structure my life in a way where I can choose my work every day. Like it's, it, it's like, it, it takes hard work like that, so it's not like I'm gonna structure my life where I don't have to work or I just get to, you know but that it is possible yeah. to structure my life to where I can choose to work every single day yeah. or, or choose my work every single yeah. day and then it's like it's stepping forward in that direction and with that intention that like once you've committed to myself okay you know what things are really tough but I think there is a path to that and I'm going to like figure out what it is that you start having a lot of different experiences when you're walking forward with that intention and that that destination is there. A lot of different innovations, a lot of experimentations. I moved to New York City to photograph 10,000 people and plot their photos on a map. That's why I moved to New York City, because that was my idea of how I was gonna somehow come up with an idea that was gonna allow me to photograph every single day. It's nothing like Humans of New York became, like what became successful. I'd never been to New York City before, ever. Didn't know anybody there, didn't have any money. I slept on a mattress on a floor, no furniture in a room. I didn't go to restaurants, didn't go to bars, didn't go to concerts, didn't do anything. All I did was photograph every single day because that was the goal. I was just trying to figure out how to do that every single day because I absolutely loved it. And everything else came out of that. It wasn't some big idea that I had that, oh, you know what's going to get 20 million Facebook followers and be two number one New York Times bestselling books? If I choose random people on on the street and develop an interview style where in a very short amount of time I can make them feel comfortable enough that they can tell me things and vulnerabilities and struggles and experiences they've gone through that they might not have told anybody else before. And so that I can, after an hour long interview, you know, through years of learning my editing skills and my interviewing skills, put this in a way that might be compelling to millions of other people. No. (laughs) I'm exhausted. All of that, that that came from hundreds and thousands of tiny evolutions that came from being out there doing the work I loved every day and trying to figure out how to do it better. And it's still like a lot of these evolutions have just happened in the past few months. And, or in the past few you know, days even, you know, it's still happening. And because like, the goal is always just doing it every day and loving to do it every single day. And it's not anything, if it was any sort of metrics or any sort of awards, I probably would have stopped already. Yeah. Um and again it's just like and I there are times where I feel like so stressed and and like I'll be, I'll be stressing out about something so bad or like this I'm not I'm getting the bad end of this deal or this this company's like taking advantage of me or you know my Facebook's algorithms are changing or yeah I mean which is like it's a laugh line but oh my god I've woken up like you know so many nights sweating because it's like you know, it's my, it's a beautiful thing. Facebook is, you know, and Instagram now has allowed me to connect with millions of people, but it's also my, like, lifeblood. and can be taken away from me. And so, like, I will stress over so many of these external things, and then suddenly I'll just go out on the street, you know, and I'll be doing my work. And if I haven't done it in, like, weeks or months, because I'll be working on something else, and I go back in, and then, like, I'm just sitting at the feet of somebody doing, creating my art, making my work, it's almost like this form of meditation. Yeah. And it's kind of like this calming and it's like this 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 bubble where all of this other stuff doesn't matter. The results of it doesn't matter. Yeah. What comes of it doesn't matter. How many people like it doesn't matter. If it makes if it turns into a book that sells copies, it makes money, doesn't matter. It's oh my gosh, this person is so interesting and they're so funny and I'm learning their story and I'm and I'm going to tell it. And it's 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 protecting that moment. And building your life in a way to where you can protect that moment and recreate that moment of whatever it is that you enjoy doing for no other reason than the activity itself. And I think, you know, that, that, is, that is the compass. And that's the, that is the, the thing that you've got to trust is possible.
0: Mm-hmm. This, and this is where it gets hairy. <laughs> I think that everyone... Um, I think everyone has this, and right now I'm guessing that there are some people that are surveying themselves right now and saying, is the thing that I love to do, fill in the blank, whatever it is, creative? I just couched everything in creativity. I think it's, it's so fundamental. It's, it's, and the goal of the book is honestly to put creativity on the same level as, as nutrition and exercise and mindfulness, because I put it like, I, I really think it's that. It's that foundational, it's that important. But right now, I, there's this uh, a debate in your mind. I can already hear it because I've talked to so many people. About it. You're like, well, is this thing that Brandon's talking about, do I have that? Or is the thing that is that thing, is it creative to me? So take the second question off the table. I'm just going to tell you it is. Do more of that. And then the second part of that same thing, the second side of the same coin is... Let's actually, I'm just going to do a quick survey here. Show of hands. And be brave just for a moment. Everyone just look straight ahead. Don't look at your neighbor. <laughs> put your hand up if you don't know what that thing is.
1: I'm going
0: to th- put that at 30.
1: I would guess there's a lot more people who didn't raise their hand. Because I hear it. I just hear it so much. Okay. Uh. Okay. Let's
0: just say it's 40%. Just south of 50%. <laughs> It's it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay for y'all. But here's how you got to do it. What did you love as a kid? What are you curious about? There's so much pressure on us to know the answer to every question about ourselves. Right? I can't see that, Kate. I love it. I love that you're holding Kate? the clipboard to me, but <laughs> what, I just can't see it at what all. What does it say? <laughs> it's time for questions, well, questions. Is what it says. Already. <laughs> she's like, when you work with your wife, and she's like. Thank you, babe.
1: <laughs>
0: they gave us two I'm gave... serious, the book would not exist if it wasn't for Kate Jarvis. <laughs> you, I just there's so much anxiety in our culture about you have to know all the answers, and here's what I want you to do if you don't know the answers, just play. Just play. What brings you joy? What are you curious about? I think we're up here being pretty darn serious because these, these activities or things that are thought exercises that we've gone so deep on are like our livelihoods literally depend on it. It does not have to be. That is not what we're advocating for. We're advocating for play. We're advocating to connecting to an innate part of you, the, the most fundamental human part of you. That is, you have the ability to put two things together that you used to not go together to make something new and useful. That is the human superpower. And if you don't know what that thing is, It's going to be okay, but it's only going to be okay if you go looking for it. Because go back to the Brene Brown quote like this, it's toxic. It doesn't just exist. it's It's going to dig into you a little bit if you don't start to pay attention to that. And what I hear right now is you're saying, yeah, but it's so hard. I got to do this and this and this. I know it's hard. But it's worth it what is it worth to not betray the eight-year-old you that knew what that thing was before the school system, before the job, before the factory, the farm, Microsoft trained it out of you. This is a joke, that was just a small joke. I'm Just trying to get all the, all the uh, tech companies, we're gonna, we got Facebook, we got Amazon, we got, okay, check, we checked them off. I just don't want you to be worried and and I want you to to know and understand that you have these things inside of you and it's okay if you've been trained to, to ignore them and you don't have to do them in public, but you have to do them. And there's so much joy to be had when you can decide to spend your time and when do you get the time? That's when you've got this and this and this and this. It's worth it to get up just a little bit early. It's worth it to stay up just a little bit late. It's worth it to invest just a little bit of time into yourself because if you don't, who will? Is it time for questions? I
1: guess so. Did you want to talk about the schools before the questions?
0: Oh, I do. Okay. This is. Um, I did what I think is a crazy thing, and um, I like to have a give back portion of all of the things that I do when I'm creating something that's very. Um, the last book I did was Seattle 100. We gave all of the money to arts organizations in Seattle, my advance. We <clears throat> raised a bunch of money and. Um, And that was an awesome thing. Uh, And then with this particular one, um, my wife, Kate, who I mentioned several times tonight, because I love her dearly, I don't know where she is now, she left with the clipboard, she's pissed right now. (laughs) She was a public school teacher for, I think, six years. It felt like 84 to me, but it was six. And I've never seen someone work so hard. I've never seen a harder working group of people than teachers. It was the most inspiring, and I'm around a lot of people who are world-class performers and they wear their work on their sleeve like a badge of honor and a teacher, the teachers that I know, they just go to work. And creativity is something that has been, um, arts and, and creativity gets defunded in schools really quickly because um, there isn't an understanding of the, the book that I'm trying to get out into our culture right now, which is aiming to rewrite all this narrative. but. Um, So, I have an ambition to put a copy of Creative Calling into the hands of every single Seattle public school teachers. There's 3,192 of them, thank you. And I can't do it alone. I do have all the logistics, I'm funding all the logistics, which is there's 113 schools, I'm going to drop ship a box, I'm not asking anyone's permission, I'm just... Certainly don't wanna get you know, into the administration part of this. I'm going to drop ship 113 boxes, one to every school with the right number of books per teacher. And I could use your help at some point. There's some amazing women wearing, young women wearing red, stand up over here. If you feel like you would like to donate a book, I will get it into the Seattle Public Schools. Just see them, they'll be cruising around in the book signing area or whatever. You can donate one or two or 10 or a million. But I'll make sure the logistics happen. Uh, We're already, we started this uh, six or seven days ago, thanks in part to my little friends and family gathering and some kind folks on the internet. We're a third of the way there already. So, yeah. Um, And I I saw it firsthand, and and it doesn't take a leap to understand that our, our teachers are underpowered, undergunned with respect to creativity. Like, all these things, this is the part that kills me, None of this is talked about in our schools, right? We don't, and it's okay, the school is not being evil, but there's just a lack of understanding that creativity used to be thought as a nice to have, and now we know that it's anything but. So we should probably, um, and I, I would love your support, and if, you, if tonight's not convenient, you can figure it out, just type in my name and teachers probably, I don't know. Um, but you're, you're the MC, so what are we doing now?
1: Um, well, you gotta tell them about our dinner afterwards, right? <laughs> or is that later? <laughs>
0: This Weird. Is, it looks like a comedy routine, but we're like,
1: we don't. Well, Ch- well, Chase and I are having dinner afterwards, right? Um, and so we just kind of had this idea recently. And so if anybody wants to join us, and if they will buy, if they buy ten books um, for teachers, um, mm-hmm. then you guys are welcome to join us for dinner. Where are we going?
0: I'm not telling. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's actually. So Kate will be up here. Kate, you to know, stand up? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I understand. There's, if a lot of people buy 10 or more books, that's not going to be enough room, so we'll have to cut it off, but uh, just come find Kate after, maybe in parallel with the questions or whatever, she'll be up here. We can't accommodate everyone, <laughs> um, but I would love to, one of my favorite, if I could flip the script here and not talk from the stage and just answer questions, to me, that's my favorite thing in the world to do because a lot of us are stuck, and I don't claim to be able to help, but I know that saying your question out loud is the first step to figuring it out. So if anyone has any questions, I would love if there are two mics up here. We could bring up the lights a little bit and come up and ask a few questions. It would mean the world to me. And if if we could be quiet while people are asking, these are are vulnerable moments for a lot of folks. We're gonna also, I'm gonna ask that you um, literally ask a question. (laughs) And we'll try and rapid fire this thing. Yeah, so I wanna know a little bit more about that kind of when you're in the struggle, when you're um, in your heart yep. and pursuing your creativity and your yep. heart's calling, but you're also in the struggle of it. Yep. And uh, Brandon, you talked a little bit about how like the vision changed for you along the way. So I think one of the maybe pitfalls to creativity is like you have a vision and then you think you can't shift it. So I guess I just wanna understand a little bit more about like when do you know you need to shift your vision or when does it kind of when do you stay on course with
1: i always the question i always asked myself was how can i make myself like my work more um that was my kind of guiding compass like i was always trying to change humans of new york i'm still trying to change humans of new york to say how can i love my work more how can i feel more proud of it how do i think it's more interesting Um, and so all of the evolutions that happened, um, along the way of being out there and doing it every single day was me stumbling accidentally or creating intentionally, um, a path through which I thought I could create work that I loved more.
0: I got a simple litmus test. Do I love it? Is it working? If you love it and it's working, keep doing it. If you love it and it's not working, keep doing it because you love it. If it's not working and you don't love it, quit. <laughs> Got it? Okay. Awesome. Over here, let's, let's rapid fire these. You talk about fear of failure and fear in general as kind of a barrier between living a wholehearted and creative life. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about a time that you struggled with fear or experienced failure and what was the difference maker for moving on? Um... Well, part of my job in life as I identify as a creator, so part of my job is to get good at being afraid. And I found out that all the best things in my life are on the other side of fear. I was terrified to write this book because I can do a lot of things fast and that was two years, 10 years in my brain, two years on the page and uh, I was scared that like dozens of times, that's why I keep saying it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Kate. and the. It's a little bit of a brutish um, answer to go back to what I just said, but do I love it? You know, do, do I love it and, and does it matter? Is it working? And if I can say it's working and I know that I love it, then I'm willing to go through. And just like creativity is a muscle, so is playing through fear. And you start to do it and it feels so terrible. That's the, re- that's the thing you have to run at and do that thing. And then when you're on the other side of that thing, you're like, that wasn't so bad. And then you forget. <laughs> and then you go back to being afraid again and then you go through it and then it just it's just one percent less fear over and over and over again. What would you say, bud?
1: Um Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I think it's one of the things I was going to say, just going real quick, when you're talking about kind of playing, uh, being a superpower, failing was a big superpower for me. Um, I flunked out of school, I embarrassed myself wildly, I was like addicted to drugs at the time, like by the time I created Humans of New York, I had like publicly failed so many times that I was just immune to it. Um, And that's... (laughs) And it, it's and, and it's just a, it's absolutely huge because like all if, if you can fail with and keep going it, it's complete superpower because then it just becomes a numbers game is I mean you could be horrible at something and you're still going to succeed five percent of the time and if you are great at failing then you just fail nineteen times and then you're going to hit it you know what I mean I love that. Uh, so so getting and, and it's a skill it's yeah. a skill just like painting. Like every time you fail and you realize, okay, people, you know, they, they don't really, they're busy with their own lives and then they don't really pay attention to you. And like people are actually nicer to you when they fail. They hate you when you're succeeding. And then then you fail, it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like, it's like once you learn that and you do it over and over and over again, that that's the superpower. Then because yeah. you can just keep trying things and you're going to stumble across something. So, um, yeah, it's a skill just like anything else. And I encourage people, especially when they're young, put yourself in positions to fail you know yeah. do that show that nobody's going to come to like hang up flyers to all those concerts or or your poetry reading that nobody's going to come to and you know go and do it and there's three people there and you know it's going to be a pretty fun night it's going to be special and you're going to meet those people yeah. you know what i mean i that's it that's
0: big yeah, Thank you. yeah. awesome We're here all right, so my question is around challenging
1: yourself. Yeah. A lot of what you talked about tonight reminds me of flow and kind of the concepts behind that. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's important to that is finding challenges that aren't impossible but really stretch you. And so I'm curious, how do you approach that? How do you find challenges that really stretch you and creative endeavors that really push you to be your best? Uh,
0: most of the things that I've ever had success on, people told me it was impossible. I think that like, that is the part also, what. The, the Bezos quote is, is, again, it's like you have to be willing to be misunderstood for long periods of time, and there's no gut check like that when people thought that I was completely it was lunacy that I wanted to take pictures with my phone when I had a $100,000 Hasselblad in the closet. You know what I mean? Like I, I literally had death threats because that, I was so stupid that I was undermining photography and taking money out of the paychecks of high paying photographers and trying to get billions of people to use their phone to take pictures. I just had a hunch that it was gonna work out. And to be able to, be, to weather that that's, that, that's that part why that inside voice I think is so important. There's a huge section of the book on mindset compared a lot to meditation when you get off track, what do you do with your mindset in a, in, a, in, a, in a meditation situation? You just bring it back to the breath and then your mind wanders and you just bring it back. And this is the same thing. You just like when everyone's dissenting, you just like keep bringing it back. And to me, that's like that willingness to be misunderstood for long periods of time is, is such, a powerful, such a powerful tool that it's, it's very much like being willing to fail publicly. And it's like failing publicly is such a trite thing to say in our culture. But it's, if you can really wrap your head around it in, this, in sort of the metaphysical sense that we're talking about it, it's a, read a book called, uh, what is it called? Um,
1: Humans of New York.
0: Yes, it's a great one. <laughs> uh, it's, the, the author's name is Zha Zheng. Do you remember his name, Kate, the name of the book? Uh, Do you remember the name of Zha Zhang's book? Um, Anyway, he talks himself into failing as many times as he can. He goes into a a Krispy Kreme. So he starts. He he fails miserably at life, and he's so terrible. He has a big blowout at work, and then he says, great, I'm going to just teach myself how to fail and be okay with it. So he starts asking total strangers for things that are just crazy. He goes into a Krispy Kreme, and it's the Olympics, and he says, you know, I'm really craving some of the Olympic donuts that you make, and they're like, oh, we don't make Olympic donuts, bud. And like, oh no, can you make one for me with the five rings and different colors? And they're like, "Uh, uh, uh," and they make it for him. (laughs) He asks the cop if he can drive the cop car, and the cop says yes. (laughs) So he starts, oh, it's rejection therapy. So look up Zha Zhang rejection therapy. It's amazing. It will change your life, okay? It's a TED talk Talk too, yeah, Zha Zhang, it's great. Um, Thank you for the question, appreciate it. Hi. Yes. Um, You're signing, oh, if you would like to join us for dinner and you want to buy, what did you say? 400 books? <laughs> ten, 10 or more, anyone, we're just going to have a small intimate dinner, so go see Kate. Uh, over here.
1: Hi. Um, you guys talked about everyone wanting to do something that's fully unique to themselves. So what yeah. happens if your idea isn't necessarily unique?
0: Mm. I'm so fired up on this one, but I've got to give it to you, it's killing me.
1: Um. I mean make I mean you got to make it so I mean what idea is fully I mean you can describe humans of New York in a way that makes it sound unique I mean there's a oh it's photos of people unique oh it's stories of people like unique oh it's stories of people on social media like that's completely unique you know it's it's that it's you that will eventually make it unique and that's by by doing it so much that you kind of innovate these new little angles and these new nuances and these new textures of of something Um, So, I think it's impossible, if you're using your creativity, um, to make something that doesn't have any uniqueness at all. Um, Go ahead.
0: Uh, hmm. I think that we're so worried about everything being unique, but if you just did you... There's only one you. You There's only one person that has your DNA that has seen the Grand Canyon the way you saw it, that had your mom cook the bad food, that had the thing that, like, you got to lean into you. That's where the best stuff is. And if you can be unapologetically you, you'll start to uncover, you'll start to pull these layers out. Because originally, you want to, like, I want to, you know... uh, like, I want to lean into my trauma because that's what we're supposed to do for creativity. If we don't have trauma or enough trauma, then we're not creative. And then, you know, we just get so in our head. If you just made so many things, this is the, this is the key to personal style as an artist, repetition. You literally have to make a thousand things. You, you have to imitate someone else until you're so tired of imitating them that you start doing your own thing and then you'll find your style. It's literally, it's the most, it's the weirdest thing, but volume matters. Make and make and make. You probably know this apocryphal story of the ceramics teacher, the the left half of the room, you get to make one thing this semester and it has to be a beautiful pot. I don't care what your stuff looks like, you have to make, I'm judging you on volume. And at the end of the semester, they made tons and tons and tons of beautiful things, and this group made one very mediocre thing. And these people all developed their style in the process of making. And so if you can think of volume, this, it's really downplayed in our culture. But if you ask any artist, they're like, I'm not sitting around waiting to get inspired. I get up and go to work. I think that, that's the key to, to understanding where your, your personal power and your uniqueness is. Because you're not going to find it at first. What you're doing is you're comparing yourself to Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga is like creative muscles have creative muscles of their own. Okay, so don't compare your work to Lady Gaga. She's been doing it every day. She's got you know, 80,000 hours under her belt. You've got 8,000 or eight. So just keep, keep going, okay? Thank
1: you. Uh, so I met your dad, Chase. He's yep. super proud of you. What's up, Dad? Congratulations. There's um,
0: my mom and dad right there. Can I get a shout out? <laughs> awesome.
1: Um, my question is: You both give so much of your energy away, and specifically to Brandon. Um, how do you recover? How do you protect your energy? How do you recover from hearing the traumatic and disturbing things that you, the stories that you're told? Um, I mean, for me, it's it is like actually hearing the story. That is how I recover. You know, it's kind of what I touched on earlier. Um, you know, I think the, um, just real short, the, I think people get compassion fatigue. I think another way of saying is like, how do you not get compassion fatigue from hearing these people's stories, especially so many of them that are sad. I think compassion fatigue comes from having a sense that you were not able to do anything or you are unable to affect the situation. Um, one, the act of listening is extremely powerful. A lot of these people have never really been truly listened to. They've been carrying things around with them that they've wanted to talk about, and having somebody come and take a very intense interest in what they're saying, I think, is very palliative to them. Um, the other thing is something about taking somebody's life events, a lot of which didn't make sense, a lot of it which were which traumatic, and arranging them into a story inherently gives meaning to a string of events that might not have had meaning before. And that is very powerful. Say that your nine-year-old son had brain cancer. This is a real, a real story. Um, and your life, you spent now all your life is spent in the hospital slowly watching your child die. I mean, that is the most unexplainable, unjust thing that ever existed. And just seems like nothing but punishment from God and somebody comes and takes your story and takes how you feel about it and how you're coping about it and how you feel about your son and turns it into a story gives it an arc and gives it a meaning gives it a structure and then shares it with millions of other people who are also going through painful experiences that take comfort that take wisdom and take you know solace from from what is what, what happened to you and how you're recovering from it it that takes something that has no meaning and gives it meaning and i think the process of that exchange is what actually on the flip side makes it more nourishing than it does draining
0: gives back Yeah. hi um, so i've been so off my meditation game because every morning it's just like well not today because i gotta i gotta do this i gotta mm. get right to it Um, so I'd love to hear more about your meditation and mindfulness practices and like how you stick to why that's so important. I'm in a terrible way with my meditation practice right now. (laughs) And I say that just so you don't feel like you're alone. (laughs) Um, I, I think it's really critical. It's been probably the single most powerful vehicle for changing my day-to-day life is just 10 to 20 minutes in the morning and 10 to 20 minutes in the evening. I'm, uh, I'm off my game right now, and I can feel it, I can tell. Yep, <laughs> yep. Kate, Kate would vow to that. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish it was better, but it's not right now. And you know, the thing is, is like the, the, I made, the point I made earlier about just bringing it back, that's all I do. Tomorrow, I'm going to be on a flight to New York at 6 in the morning, before I fall asleep, I'm going to meditate, and I'm just basically getting back up after I fall down every time.
1: I haven't started yet, but Chase is working on me. Uh, I, I take, I mean, for me it's, it's the, the moments when I feel completely present or when I am sitting at somebody's feet and completely listening to their story, like that's when I have no thoughts about myself for, you know, long periods of time. Um, so that is the closest thing I have right now, but all the smart people in my life tell me I have to meditate, so I know I'm going to start one day, <laughs> haven't, haven't done it yet. Yeah. Um, my question is about that moment when you've developed your passion and you're ready to put it out there to share with people, and maybe you're ready to monetize it, and that takes hustle and vulnerability, and you begin to receive feedback. And sometimes that feedback can kill the joy because maybe it's not well received, or people don't understand what it is you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you work through that and, like, Mm-hmm. begin to continue to create in that moment? I mean, that's, that's a, a fantastic, and it's a very difficult question. I mean, there's a lot of pain there, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, I, you, we talk about like, ideas that seem impossible, uh, try telling all your family and your friends that you're going to move to New York with no photography experience to stop random people on the street and take their pictures and put them on Facebook, which is nothing but pictures of other people. Um, you know, it's like the the idea of Humans of New York, which sounds absolutely like a, a silver bullet now, a sure thing. Oh, of course, telling intimate stories. Like, it, I couldn't get a single person to tell me it was a good idea for a very, very long time. And, like, you know, I think, to my face, people were kind of being lukewarm about it, and probably behind my back, you know, they were very much laughing about it. And my early work did suck. It really did suck. You know, but I just, oh, I, I, I just really loved it, you know, and I, I really loved it. I don't know how to communicate or teach that kind of like a love or that kind of you know passion for something but I just really loved taking photos and telling stories and it kept me that was enough the draw to it was enough to keep going through those pricks and keep going through those stings and arrows and it still happens you know there's Attack art I mean The New Yorker wrote a takedown of humans of New York that was shared sixty thousand times on Facebook. You know what I mean it, it, like the the magnitude of it gets much larger, but you know it doesn't hurt any less than like the first comment or you know the second comment when you're when you're first starting like that's the, that's the kind of thing. It's like the, the the feeling doesn't change no matter how big it gets. you know it's just as hard for you hearing that you know, that first whisper from a friend talking about your art that you didn't think that they were, you were going to hear as it is to have 60,000 people laughing at you on Twitter or saying that you don't know what you're doing or that your work is overly sentimental or whatever um, that I've heard about Humans of New York over the years. Um, so yeah, it's, just like, it's something that's it's really tough, but they, you know, once, you, once you can handle it from one person and keep going, like I promise you, you can handle it from a million people.
0: That's it. This is the worst thing you're going to hear tonight. (laughs) (laughs) You have to get used to it. And, and this, this undeniable belief that you are doing you becomes this little creative plutonium inside you. And you can stoke that fire by hanging out with people, that give you energy and bring you joy. And this is part when when Brandon was talking about people coming home and just being tired. If you did the thing you were supposed to be doing, you'd have 50% more energy. And if you did that and you were around people who brought you energy, if you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, choose wisely. That is all. (laughs) Two more questions, I think, is that right, two more?
1: Hi, I'm Haley. Um, I guess this question is more directed towards Brandon. You probably get a lot, but is there one particular story that has like stuck with you over the years? Um, For me, I always say it's different stories at like different times. Like I'm a parent Mm -hmm. now. You know, the parenting stories, I would tell them as much as best as possible, but they didn't really resonate as much with me as they do now. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like the, it's, it's always kind of contextual. I think the Humans of New York, the staying power of it is that it always, the story, no matter how far from somebody's experience a single story is, there's always somebody that, like, it just hits like a bullseye. It's like, oh my God, like, I'm reading exactly what's happening to me. And so that is just, happened. that's changed, like, throughout my life. And there's, it's, it's these, it's seemingly, it's seemingly unsexy, undramatic stories that happen to be speaking to exactly the, issue my wife and I are having in our relationship or exactly the thing I'm trying to figure out with my daughter you know what I mean or exactly what my friend is going through that tends to kind of stick with me at that moment and I I think it's probably pretty similar for a lot of other people it's that there's you know if you listen to enough stories and tell enough stories you're going to hear the right one at the right time and even me as a story gatherer kind of runs into that yeah thank you yeah thank you yeah um, I'm a special education teacher, so your series on Special Olympics was really hit close to home. And I was just curious how you choose where you travel when you do the travel stories and when you stay in New York and how you uh, choose like what you're going to cover. Um, right now, I'm working on an international book that's coming out fall of 2020, um, right in the midst of all the election crap. Jason and I were just talking about that. Uh, that's bold. Yeah. The, uh so a lot of the international travel right now is, is, is within the structure of trying to finish that book. One thing that I really want to do once that book is finished, um, and like even that, it's like no, no, no matter like how beautiful like the handcuffs are, there's always going to be things that are con, kind of constraining you from doing the things that you would be doing at any given moment. Like right now I'm traveling all over the world and telling stories. I, if it was up to me, I'd probably lay at home a little bit because it's just like, it's so exhausting but once, I, once my time frees up I want to do more things like the Special Olympics. Um really delve deep in a series. That's where you ask somebody asks, how do you know when to pivot? It's like I think my work can be better if I go deeper in the way that the series allow me to do um, that I'm not able to do until I finish my next book. So that's kind of the next step for me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
0: Patience. You.
1: That will conclude our QA for the evening. Uh, thank you so much for being here with Jason Brandon.
0: Thank you guys. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, Actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to